Good morning. If you will turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll be going there in just a few moments. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As we get to the idea in our, our series, we've been talking, as you know, for the past several weeks on vision, where we're going as a church, what we're hoping to do, the ways that we uh, feel that we can become and to be the church God calls us to be. So we went through uh, the foundation, now we're in the structure, and one of the things that we're looking at is ministry, the idea of ministry, and how as a church and as believers we must be engaged in ministry. All people in the church must be engaged in ministry. And today's passage in Acts chapter 2 is one of the foundational kind of passages behind the entirety of the vision of looking and seeing what the church should look like. But I feel like it was one of the best ones that expresses what it should look like in the church to do ministry. So let's start in chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time we can gather together. And God, as we look at what it means to, to follow you and to minister on your behalf, to be people who are engaging in ministry, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to see what that means clearly, to see Scripture's demand for each of us to engage in it and to minister on your behalf, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to be convicted on how we can apply this in our life that you would help us to be examples of your love and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. God, I pray that each of us would be open and willing to see what this passage and what your, your word says to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at this passage, we're looking at this idea. The first question we, we will ask is, what is ministry? It's a word that expands beyond just church, but church is a place where we hear it very often, right? When I was called to ministry, that's a term pastors or people that are going into ministry often use. So we have a very specific association with it of people who are in vocational ministry. They do ministry as their job. But when we look at the idea of ministry and what the Bible says about it, it's more than just that. Ministry is a very simple thing. Uh, the most basic definition, this is very similar to what you can find if you just looked up what is the definition of ministry. We're speaking as a verb, okay? So ministry is a verb, is doing good for others, right? There, there are many contexts where you might think of people doing ministry or ministering to other people, right? Pastors, we've already talked about that, how pastors are often referred to as ministers. They're supposed to minister the Word so they share with those who are in need and need the help of the gospel, but also ministering to those who are hurting, those who are, are going through difficult times. The medical field is also a place where we hear of the idea of ministry, right? Doctors may minister to sick patients. They administer medication so that they will get well. 
In the same way, those who are simply doing good deeds might be ministering to those who are hurting. If, if there are people who are homeless and someone goes to help them, you could say they are ministering to the homeless. But the reality of that simple definition of ministry is there's a, is a important truth that we, we all should know and what we cannot go without re- repeating is that ministry, doing good things, cannot save you. Doing good deeds does not save. Romans 3.20 says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the, not through the, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So ministry, loving others, caring for others, doing good deeds is essential and is important. Right? We talked last week that the two greatest commands, love God and love others. If you are loving others well, you are doing thing for, things for them, that would be classified in, in, a, in this broad definition as ministry. So as we move from this broad definition, what should ministry look like in the church? As Christians, what should the ministry we engage in look like? In, in, within the church, what does ministry look like? First and foremost, ministry is caring for your Christian brothers and sisters. We are called to love and care for those in the church who need help. If we look here in this passage, it says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Right? This idea that they, sh- they shared everything they had to make sure that every other person within the body had enough. Because much like today, there was people in this time that had a lot and people who had very little. People that had an abundance of food, people that didn't have any food at all. And so they made sure part of what the early church did was make sure they ministered to one another, made sure that they cared for one another, made sure all of the needs in the body were met. In the book of James in chapter 1, where it talks about not simply being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, he concludes that section with this verse in James 1.27, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Obedience to God is very often related to love and care for those around you. The way that we interact with one another is an expression of our obedience to God. Oftentimes we think of obedience and submission to God through how we abstain from sin, right? We are saved from the sin in our life and we must then go a new direction and follow God, and that is true. But the other component is then what we do because of what God has done for us, that we love one another. We love the brothers and sisters. And next week we'll get further into what that love looks like, but today we're talking about how we minister to one another. When people have needs, are we as a church, as a body, making sure those needs are met? Because we see in Acts 4.32, another example, just two chapters after the passage we read first, they re-emphasize this idea of how they loved one another. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. With great power the apostles were given, giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the, and the great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or, or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet." This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, 
which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what we see here is, is people being super selfless with what they had. Did they have to do that? No. Why did they do that? Because Jesus had paid the price for them and had, had saved them from their sin, had saved them from the direction they were going. And so now in this common bond of unity, this common bond of fellowship, they understood that they should take care and do what they could to love others the way they had been loved. To love others as they had been loved. Just past this, we see the, the establishment of the deacons as another example of ministry within the church. In Acts chapter 6, we see the story where the apostles realized that they could not both minister the word and share the gospel with those around them and make sure that the ministry was, that was being done in the church body was appropriate. There was complaints by one group that, that they weren't being fed or, or taken care of in the same way that the widows from this other group were being taken care of. So what did the apostles do? They established deacons to help oversee the ministry within the body. Right, let's make sure we understand. Right now we're talking about caring for our Christian brothers and sisters. Caring for one another. People that have the, the, the common bond of, of salvation in Christ. They're a part of the body of Christ, locally gathered, and that we minister to one another. Ministry is the willingness to meet the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters when they present themselves. In your life, think about that. When you hear of a need within Within our, within our body of believers, within our church, is your instinctive reaction, how can I help? What can I do to meet this need? Because the, the Bible seems to indicate that that should be the way we approach it. Oftentimes, what do, we, what do we hear or what do we see happen? We like to pray for one another, at least to say we'll pray for one another. But we have to put those prayers into action when we have the ability to. There are many of us that will at times be blessed with, with excess and abundance or, as we see here, even the sacrificial component. It wasn't that there was people here that were so wealthy that they could just give out of abundance. They sold what they had to make sure that those who had less had enough. That's a hard thing to see, that, that we view that the people we are with are more valuable than the things that we have. We should. Because Jesus viewed us as more valuable than His own life. He laid His life down so that we could be saved. And we should lay down what we can for the good of our Christian brothers and sisters. Sometimes this is radical. Doing things that are beyond what people might expect. And the reality is this establishes a family dynamic. They are, we call ourselves Christian brothers and sisters. Right? There is a family component. We are a part of the body of Christ, the family of Christ, and so we should take care of each other in such a way. Family is one of those places where you see this happen very often. Right? You see people that will go beyond and, and will do whatever they can for their children or for their parents or whatever it may be. You see people make sacrifices to go above and beyond, to love people even when it's hard. When they've burned them many times, they keep caring, they keep giving because they're family. We have to understand that as the body of Christ, is, as believers, we are family. We should love each other as family. Even when it's hard, even when other people don't necessarily do the right thing, even when we've been hurt before, we love because Christ has loved us. 
We also see that there should be no favoritism in the way that the church operates in loving one another. James 2, 8 through 9 says, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgression, as transgressors. We cannot only love those who are easy to love, who we want to love, or anything of that nature. We must love everybody that is within the body of Christ. And in this particular passage, he's talking about if a person walks in with gold rings and nice robes, you can't treat that person better than you would the poor person. And if we're loving our neighbor, we can't look at, at who people are and, and how we view them if they are in the body of Christ. We must love them where they are. Love people where they are. It doesn't matter how long they've been a member. It doesn't matter how well we know them, whether they've helped us before. Our, com- our command to love is based on what Christ has done for us. Because ministry is giving without expecting anything in return. We give to one another without expecting anything in return. I've heard this metaphor before of, of changing in the pocket, right? How if you do things for people, you kind of invest some change into their pocket and, and you kind of fill their, their sack with how they trust you and how they feel about you. And there can be truth for that in interactions. But when we think about how we serve in the church, that shouldn't be how it is, right? We shouldn't have to make sure that we've got enough change in everybody's pocket for people to help when there's need. We give freely without expecting anything in return because we love because Christ has loved us. Because there's a reality that we'll often say, and you'll often hear people say, everything I have is God's already, right? We talk about tithing. It's giving back to God what's already His. Well, everything falls within that umbrella. Everything falls within that reality. So if we give to one another, we're giving to God in in the sense of giving to the community of the body what is already His. There should be no reservation. We're doing good within the body because we are helping build the body of Christ up. We are helping the weak members. When 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 the weak people are weak and they're struggling, we help build them up. And in doing so, we benefit the whole. When we benefit the weak, we benefit everyone. And so that might cost you some money. And here's the three things. Your your time, your resources, and your energy. Those are the three things that you can most often use to minister to people. Your time, your resources, and your energy. Maybe that means you've got to go out of your way and, and talk to somebody that's having a hard time. You minister with your time. Maybe, like I know people do so often, you spend a Saturday and you go help somebody complete a project. You're giving your energy and your time. And then your resources. Sometimes financially it takes our, our love and our support for our Christian brothers and sisters to help them through a difficult time. Maybe they can't pay a bill. Maybe they're behind on bills. They, I know of people that had terrible accidents that have happened and, and they are in, in the process of getting those things covered and their church family steps in and helps cover their mortgage at a time because they couldn't do it. It's difficult, but we love one another. We help one another. We build one another back to where they're in a place to contribute. And we see that as well. There's not a, it's not a give and give and give and, and take and take and take. It's a building up for the profit of the entire body. So that's what ministry, the first thing we see is ministry is caring for our Christian brothers and sisters. But now we're going to see one thing that ministry isn't. Ministry isn't caring for others to make yourself feel or look good. 
Ministry isn't caring for others to make yourself feel or look good. We're going to look at a story in Acts. It's directly following the second passage I read in Acts. So in Acts chapter 4, we see the re-emphasis of how they loved one another. Everything was in common. They sold what they had to make sure everyone had things. We see this re-emphasized in Acts chapter 4. Immediately following that in Acts chapter 5, we see this story. And it's not one that I've, I've seen or that I've actually heard taught much about in church. It's Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, 1 through 10, starting in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter, asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Well, I can see why we don't often talk about this story. It's not very pleasant. And the first time I read it, I'll be honest with you, I was really getting more serious into studying the Bible. And I was a teenager at the time, and I read this. And I was like, well, why in the world did these people die because they didn't give all the money to the church? I was a little confused by this. But what we see very clearly from the first part, how we love one another, that's all voluntary. There's no compulsion. We don't sell what we have and give to others. We don't give our time, our energy, our resources because we have to but because we want to, because we want to follow Christ, we want to be obedient, we want to love one another. This is what they were doing. They were selling what they had voluntarily, giving to one another. So what did they do wrong? Well, what they did is, is very clear. They, it, it's not a, clear at first, but once you, you dig a little deeper into it, they sold land for a certain price. And then they told everyone they sold it for a less, lesser, or a lesser price than that. Gave that portion and made themselves look good, saying that they'd given everything from the sale of their property to, to benefit the believers, to benefit the brothers and sisters of Christ, as other people had done. So they sell it, let's just say $100,000, and they bring $50,000. They keep $50,000 for themselves. But it's not that they were not allowed to do this. He says this. Wasn't the land yours when you had it? Wasn't it yours after you sold it? Why did you lie? You're not lying to people, but you're lying to God. Why did they do this? They wanted the appearance of loving their brothers and sisters. They wanted the appearance of that while also maintaining the benefit of keeping what was theirs. There was selfishness involved. They wanted to look good. And to do some good, but to not do it in the way they were presenting themselves to have done it. So there is no room, because ministry is not caring for others to make yourself feel and look good. They sought the praise and adoration of their brothers and sisters without the sacrifice. 
Being praised for doing things is something that all people crave. We like when we, we get people to tell us that we did a good job or we did something right. It's, it's natural. There's something about us that craves this, this positive attention. You know, we, we just got a, a puppy this week. And one of the things that when you train a puppy is that you're supposed to constantly give them treats or to give them positive reinforcement so that they learn that when they do the right thing, they get rewarded. That's not why we follow Christ. We don't follow Christ so that people will pat us on our back and say, you did a good job. It was so good that you helped this person that way. It was so good that you sacrificed in this way. That's not why we do it. We follow God to be obedient to Him. Our reward is not of this earth. It's not of people's reward. We should be better than dogs that need a treat every time they do the right thing. Consider what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may, your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. We live in a very connected world. There are many people who their entire lives could be seen through looking at their social media. Every day you'll know what's happening. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's great. I love that, that my family members that live far away can see what's happening with our kids and they can be a part of that and they can enjoy that. It's a good thing. Those things exist for good purposes. But there's a temptation there. That everything that we do requires everyone else's knowledge. And so when we do good things, when we serve God, we share with others, there's a temptation to make sure other people are aware. You know, there are, there are many, uh, there's been a rise of many accounts or people online that will constantly go out and they'll maybe find like a homeless person and give them a very large amount of money. That's a good thing, right? To, to go and share and to help somebody. But what they do is they video it every single time. What is the purpose then? What is the motive? And that's what we have to be we careful with. It's not necessarily wrong that someone's aware that you did something good. But are you doing the good so that people will know? The only person that will know that is you and God. What is your motive in doing good for your Christian brothers and sisters? What is your motive when you help people? Are you doing it to serve God, to be obedient, to love, to, to, to share the love that God has given to you? Or because you want praise and you want people to look at you and to see how good you are. We have to be careful. We have to check our motives with that. It's, a, it's unavoidable that people will at times be aware of the good that you do. But it, we, should, we should strive to make it an iceberg type situation where what's apparent to people is so much less than what there really is. If people know that you do some good, we should strive that there's 90% of the good that we do that others don't know. We want to be able to be obedient to God, to share and to do good, because we want to be obedient to Him. So that's primarily, as we've been talking about with our Christian brothers and sisters, ministry within the body. But as we continue forward, ministry is caring for those 
outside the church in the name of Christ. Ministry is also caring for those outside the church in the name of Christ. God calls us to love our neighbor. And in his interaction in, in the book of Luke where he's talking with the Pharisees, they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he tells them, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then one of the, one of the scribes asks him, well, who is my neighbor? And it says in that passage, looking to justify himself. Right? Looking to make sure that he had done what he was supposed to do. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this very familiar parable. Jesus took up the question and said, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he, and he obviously would answer the one who showed him compassion. And Jesus says, go then and do likewise. Now in this story, we have a different example. The man in question is most likely a Jewish man. The one that was, was robbed and left for dead was most likely a Jewish man because Jesus was a Jewish person and was speaking to an audience of Jewish people. And then we see two people who would have been leaders within the Jewish community, a priest and a Levite, people that would be respectable, the ones who ought to do the good. But they pass by, not willing to give their time, energy, or resources to help their fellow brother, most likely their fellow brother, to be helped, to, to not die on the side of the road. And who is the one that stops and helps? A Samaritan. We likely have a, a positive idea, like this idea that, oh, you're a good Samaritan, right? If someone does a good deed, they're a good Samaritan. But the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. They were kind of in a, in a sort of weird family feud. They were related far back, but they did not like each other at all. One thought they were right, the other thought they were right. And so the Samaritan is the one who helps. And he says to go and do likewise. He gave his time. He stopped, helped him, his energy. He put him on his own animal, so he had to walk. And his resources cared for the man at the end. And says it would reimburse him for any other money that was spent. So what does it look like to love our neighbor, to love people that are not within the church? We must do the same thing. Meet, them, meet their needs when we are able to. Giving, serving them with our time, energy, and resources. There could be an idea that could arise that we should only do good for those that, is, that are in the church, and, and I don't think that is true. If you look at what Jesus says here, if you look at the way He interacted with it, to go and love anyone that we come across that we can serve and that we can love. We are to be directly responsible for those within the church, but that does not mean we are capable of, of ignoring those who are not in the church. There are all sorts of, of groups and organizations, Christian and, and not Christian, that are devoted to loving people and to helping them, to meeting their needs. 
And the thing that I think is very clear, because we know the God who created us, the God who God is love, all love comes from Him. He is the, the one who has given us the most understandable and experienceable type of love through what Jesus did for us. If we know God, the church should be far more known for loving people than the world. If there are needs that need to be met, the church, if, they, if, it, if it is able, should do what it can to meet those needs. When people think of who they should turn to in times of need, who will love them where they are, they should think of the church being able to meet people where they are and to love them and to help them. There is a very common perception that I have seen perpetuated by people who are, are not Christians that all that churches want is people to come in and give them money so that they can build uh, bigger things. And there are many uh, pastors or so-called pastors that have, have made this idea very popular by taking all sorts of money and building giant mansions for themselves and buying private jets. The, the image of Christ that those people have, have painted is that you give the church your money so they can live in wealth when really the church should be helping those that are in need. The church should be helping those who are hurting. The perception should be that all they want to do, that all that the church wants to do is love like Christ has loved us. But here's where we run into some difficulty with this whole conversation. And this is a conversation that, that I've heard happen over and over and over again, especially within church leadership, about how we approach people outside of the church that have need. There is a false idea that doing good for others competes with sharing the gospel. Doing ministry to people outside of the church cannot and should not ever compete with sharing the gospel. It is not an either-or. We must do both, because ministry isn't a replacement for sharing the gospel. And we're going to get further into this idea of evangelism and missions, but it's so important that it often comes up and all of these ideas are so interrelated. Ministry isn't a replacement for sharing the gospel. Romans 10, 13 through 17 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they, only, can they call on Him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. But not all who obey, not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard through the message about Christ. Let's not miss that. Faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Doing good, and just doing good, is not enough if we are being obedient to do what God calls us to do. If we love someone and we help them, if we, we meet them where they're at and they're, and they're in a state of brokenness and they're hurting, we do the right thing. But if we stop there, all we have done is help someone that is, that is destined for hell if they're lost and outside the church. So we should do good. That cannot be absent. I have seen an, of an idea within some people within the church that do, sharing the gospel is more important than doing ministry. If, there, if you had to choose, it is. 
if you had to choose, you can only, this person comes up to you and says, hey, I have 10 minutes and I have this need that you can meet, or I kind of want to hear about Jesus, but I'll only give you 10 minutes and you have to pick one of them. It's a very specific situation. Share the gospel. That has eternal impacts for their life. But I would argue, time and time again, you have very little reason to have to choose between helping someone and loving them where they are and sharing Jesus with them. You have very little, very few times where you'll have a, a time where they're actually competing with one another. Most often, loving people where they are, meeting their needs, is how you will then have an avenue to share the gospel with that person. You'll have the ability to talk to them and to say, hey, I'm doing this because Jesus has loved me. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me and what he'll do for you. Because if you stop and you help somebody, you, you go out of your way and you do something for them, they're going to kind of wonder what made you do that. And as Christians, we know that, that in and of ourselves, if it was only based on what we do, we are not good. That, that we would be prone to selfishness, we would be prone to, to going our own way and to leaving others by. But because of what Jesus has done for us and the Spirit that lives within us, we are compelled to love others. And if we love them, we then can share the gospel with them. Because the gospel is ultimately what matters to those who are lost. Because if we only do good and never share what Jesus has done, we send people to hell in a comfortable coffin. We make sure all their needs are met, we make sure their, their bellies are full, and then they, they have no problems in the world. But like every other person, they'll face God and give account of their sin. And only the gospel, only what Jesus has done, can redeem that person. So there should not be this false dichotomy, this, this pitting of doing good for people and, and sharing the gospel. We should do both. And most often, if there's only one that you can do, it will make sense. If you see somebody choking, I don't think the right answer is to go and to tell them about Jesus in that moment. You save their life, and then you tell them about Jesus. And if you only have the opportunity to save their life... I think you did the right thing because then they're able to hear the gospel at a later date. Right? That's a very extreme example. But they should not compete. Loving people and telling them about Jesus is the same thing. And they should always go hand in hand. There was a movement that, was, that was kind of took place in the church at one point called the social gospel that really focused on social change and, and building a better world and Initially, it kind of had the idea of implementing the gospel, but it got sidetracked and focused at the end more on just creating a better life for people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doing good in the name of Christ and then sharing the good news about what Jesus Christ has done. And so this does mean that planned outreach and planned ministry should include both. You know, there are things that you can do and there are things that churches often do that are good things to do. They help people, but they have no gospel component. So if we're going to plan things that we're going to spend our time, energy, and resources doing, we should plan to do things that have both components, that meet people's needs and shares the gospel with them. If we're going to go on a mission trip, we shouldn't go and just build a well. We're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we shouldn't go and just build a well for people so they have clean water. We should go clean, go build a well so they have clean water and make sure they hear about the source of living water, about Jesus, what he's done for them. 
That is what we have to do. And so ministry within the church has no questions asked because we're brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Outside of the church, when we do ministry, it should be accompanied by an intention and and the ability, if possible, to share the gospel. So as we're coming to a close today, I want to ask you, what are you doing to minister to others? And I'll tell you, what I've seen in this church is that I, I see a heart for people, a heart for one another, I know that, when, that there are many people that when they have needs, they are met. And that is beautiful. And that is what the church is supposed to be. But what are you doing to minister to others? And are you doing what you should to minister to others? Are there, way, are there ways that you can minister better to your Christian brothers and sisters or those outside the church? Those that you encounter on your day, in your daily life? What ways can you better give your time, energy, and resources to serve those in the church and beyond? And then a question that's very important too, anytime we talk about doing good works, doing good deeds, are you seeking to justify yourself by doing your own good works? Or at the same time, are your motives correct in the good that you do? Are you doing it simply to follow Jesus and to do what is right? Or so others will look at you. But if you're seeking to justify yourself by your own good works, you need to turn to Jesus today. We saw by, by, by good works, no one will enter heaven. It's only because of what Jesus has done, because only Jesus, what Jesus did can, can pay the price for our sin. So I would urge you to turn to Him this morning. And lastly, how do you need to be more obedient to the Lord today? In general, in your life, how can you follow Him more faithfully? Maybe that's following Him in salvation like we talked about, making Him your Lord and your Savior because you know you need Him to save you from your sins. Maybe it's following in obedience and baptism. Maybe it is is joining the church. Maybe it's something that you see in your life you need to do. Whatever that may be, this is the time to look at that in your life and to decide today to follow Him more faithfully. As Becky comes, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given us, this time that we can gather together, that we can celebrate you. And God, I pray that we would be a people that are for one another because of what you've done for us, that we would constantly be seeking to build the body up, to help those who are in need, to to care for one another, to make sure that there are none in in need like, like we see as a picture in Acts. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would convict us of how we can faithfully follow you, And God, I praise you for the faithfulness that I have seen exhibited in this church already. God, I pray for any that have decisions they need to make today, how to be more obedient, how to follow you more more faithfully, or 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 maybe following you for the first time, that today they would have no reservations. You would fill them with your boldness, that we could follow you more faithfully today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.